Welcome to the Beyond High Performance Podcast, featuring content and conversations from me, Jason Jaggard, along with our elite coaches at Novus Global, their high-performing clients, and the faculty at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching. On this podcast, you'll hear some of the world's best executive coaches and high-performing leaders, artists, and athletes discuss how they continue to go beyond high performance in their lives and businesses. Today is a bonus episode from a talk that I gave on the main stage at the Story Conference in Nashville, Tennessee in 2017. In this talk, I explore the five questions that shape the trajectory of your life and how they can have a profound impact on your perceived view of what you're capable of. I hope you enjoy the show. How y'all doing? You doing okay? In the words of Winston Churchill, let's get it on. Let's, I think I saw that on a meme once. <laughs> you know. Uh, he never said that. If you're curious, he never said that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe he did. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Like John Lithgow with a fat suit being like, let's get it on. That'd be great. Churchill actually did say, uh, this is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end, but perhaps is it the end of the beginning? And I love that. And we've been having this conversation around curiosity. I'm an executive coach. And so uh, curiosity is a big part of what we do. And we ask a lot of questions. We ask questions for a living. And I love questions because they're powerful. Neurophysiologically, they're powerful. There's a thing called the arrested effect, which means if I ask a question to you, your brain can't help but ask ask a question back. It's like inception, right? Or there's actually a thing called the observance effect, which says that if I ask you a question, the probability of you doing something about it later increases dramatically. So if I ask you if you're going to vote next year's election, the probability of, uh, next, not next year's, like next whenever, of, of what seems like a bajillion years from now. Um, <laughs> if I ask you if you're going to vote, the probability of you voting goes up 35% just by asking the question. See, questions are powerful, and we've been talking about a lot of powerful questions over the last couple of days, and uh, yesterday, McKinsey asked the question, what if, which is beautiful, and then Jim Kruger, y'all love Jim Kruger from earlier today, wasn't he amazing? I loved him, he's a buddy of mine, and he invited us to ask this question, what happens next? And that's what I love about a story, by the way. Stories, good ones, invite you to ask the question, what happens next? Like, think about your favorite film. Like, when I was a kid watching E.T., you remember E.T.? You, do you remember E.T.? You remember e Every now and then, yeah, okay. Every now and then I meet someone who hasn't seen it, and I'm like, oh, cool, so, like, Amish? That's great. That's great. Right? But you, you remember E.T., and E.T. is dying, and Elliot is on the bike, and they're riding, and his finger lights up, and you know what's going to happen? They come to the cliff, and all of a sudden you're asking, what happens next? Or anybody like Braveheart? I'm a big Braveheart fan, right? And William Wallace is talking to Princess Isabel, and he says, you know, every man dies, but not every man truly lives, you know, or whatever, right? And, and, like, and, and even if you shouldn't talk like that, like, it's just this beautiful moment when you're like, what happens next? So I'm a huge Aaron Sorkin fan. I love everything that he does. Yeah, thank you. And he did, so A Few Good Men, where Jessup leans into Daniel Caffey in the last scene, and Daniel Caffey's like, you want answers? He says, I think I'm entitled to it. You want answers? I want the truth. And he says, yeah. and it's like, what happens next? The story has this ability to invite us to ask powerful questions. And here's the thing. While story invites us to ask powerful questions, your life and your story are shaped by the questions you ask. And what I want to do is I want to spend just a few minutes this, uh, this evening, wherever we are, I want to spend a few minutes talking about the five questions people ask. The five questions people ask and how that shapes the trajectory of your life. You ready? Okay, because first of all, I want to be clear. Not all questions are created equal. Can we be honest about that? There are great questions to ask, and there are not so great questions to ask. I'll give you an example of this. So my family, my parents are actually here somewhere. I think they're over there. Everyone say, hi, Mom and Dad. Yeah, all right. I love you guys uh, sometimes. So um, <laughs> they, uh, they're like, you too, you little jerk. All right, so my family, we're notoriously bad gift givers. This is, these are all true stories. One time I bought a, a book for my parents for Christmas on how to be a better parent. <laughs> but here's, here's the thing. It's a family thing. It's a family thing because one time my dad bought for me for Christmas an energy-saving showerhead. 
Okay. Now, you know how energy-saving shower heads work. They cut down on water pressure. That's how they save energy, right? And I'm a guy, how many of you are like, I want a lot of water pressure, right? I want it to like rip the skin off my back. That's what I want. An energy-saving shower head, it's like getting like a massage from an infant. It's, it's like, is, is, is anything, is the water even on? Like what's happening right now, right? But it's cool because it saves you money, which is nice, which would be great if I were living someplace else. But I was living in his house. All right, so our family, we're notoriously bad gift givers. And years ago, uh, my grandparents lived in Arizona. And what we would do is we would open up Christmas presents early and then videotape it and then send the videotape, the VHS. Remember a blockbuster video, the, little, the black thing that had the tape with information stored on it? Remember that? <laughs> right. They would video on the videotape and they would send the tape to my grandparents so they could watch the video on Christmas morning. Right? Hashtag 80s. This is great, right? <laughs> It was wonderful. And so my sister and I were opening up the presents, and my parents had done their job. They coached us. When you open the present, like, look, look into the camera, be like, yeah, I love you guys. This is the best thing ever. I love that. that kind of thing, right? And so, true story, open the present, camera's rolling. This is what I pull out. It's a white sweatshirt, and it says, someone in Arizona loves me. <laughs> and I look into the camera after having been well coached, and I say, they expect me to wear this in public? <laughs> and the true story is, my dad, you know, like the camera was like the VCR and the camera looked like you're filming on the red, you know, and, and like he puts the camera down and I got like a scolding and I like cried because I was embarrassed and all this kind of stuff. We rewrapped the present and if you watch the tape, <laughs> if, we, if you watch the tape, it's like I'm opening up the present and it's like, <laughs> and then it's me with like bloodshed eyes going like, thanks grandma and grandpa, <laughs> all right? <sighs> Yeah, screw you. <laughs> and that's what I realized. There is such a thing as the wrong question. Do you expect me to wear this in public? When is the baby due? These are wrong. <laughs> These are the wrong questions. That's where I want to start. So the first question is very, and people live their lives this way, and they, most people don't realize what questions they ask. And what gives me an executive coach in our firm, there's a couple of people here from our firm, which I'm totally thrilled that they're here. What we do for a living is we hold space and allow people to explore what questions they're asking that they may not even realize. Here's the first question. We're going to go in order of power. The first question here, how do I make the pain stop now? This is a question most people are asking most of the time, and they have no idea about it. Right. There, whatever I can do, I can make the pain stop. In fact, some of you know people like this. Some of you know artists and storytellers who are like this, where they, like, they, they don't create anything because all they're trying to do is get the pain to stop. Right? And here's the problem with this. So you may find this hard to believe. I, and maybe some of you don't because you can sense my chronic anxiety. I don't talk about this a whole lot. I have a massive fear of public speaking. <laughs> okay, great, thanks. Thanks for the laugh. <laughs> yeah, I like you too. Great. Hey, let's get you up here and show your daddy wounds to see how that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I have a massive fear, and I'm not kidding. Like, I have a massive fear. Most of the time before I speak, it's getting better as I get older, but most of the time before I speak, I have this moment where I'm like, if I never do this ever again, I'll be totally fine. I hate doing this. Why do I keep saying yes to these things? Like, these are the things, it is torturous. And when I was younger, it was even worse. And so I would only limit myself to speaking to small crowds. So over 10 years ago, I got a call from a former intern who said, hey, I would love you to come and speak to my class in college. I was like, great, I can do that class, right? Class is good, class is great, I love classes. And so I got on a plane, flew to the East Coast, and they picked me up, and then they took me to this stadium, and they were kind of walking me around the stadium. And I was like, oh, this is cool, they're, like, they're showing off the new stadium. <laughs> kind of cool, kind of cool treatment, whatever. And then my former intern goes, hey, um, there's been a change of plans. 
And I said, oh, what's that? Like, is, is there, are there classrooms in the stadium? <laughs> you know? And he said, no, um, I actually asked permission if you could speak to the whole school. 10,000 people. <laughs> 10,000 people. And he goes, oh, don't worry about it. You know, like, he saw that I was anxious. He's like, don't worry about it. I know it's a big deal. We're going to televise it. <laughs> and I did not sleep that night. The next day, I got up, and I threw up so many times. I was backstage <laughs> throwing up, and this poor intern guys with all the big wigs of the university were all in the back room together, and I'm, like, up chucking, you know. And they're like, is he going to be okay? And they're like, I don't know, you know. <laughs> And I've never showed this before, but I thought it'd be fun because it illustrates the point. You can't find this anywhere, not that you would care to look, but <laughs> I had the first few seconds of me speaking on video. It's like the crappiest video ever. It's old. It's like over 10 years old. And so I'd love to show just a, a short clip of this. I, um, I want to thank you, Steve, for uh, putting a trash can in the back because I used it to throw up. But now I'm here with you, so <laughs> it's really nice to be here. I'm going to pace, I'm going to pace a little bit because I got to not pass out at the same time. You know, if you want to make the pain stop now, maybe we could get rid of the soul patch, I think. <laughs> I think that could. And uh, special thanks to Flip for Mac in 19 or 2000, whenever I did that. It was excruciating. I want to be really clear. It's romantic when you're up here, but like it's excruciating beforehand. And it was a thing. And I have passed out before talks. I have years ago. I have passed out before talks. I have thrown up before talks. Years ago, I canceled one talk one time. Like I, I, could, I just couldn't do it because the anxiety and the fear and the pain was just too great. And I will never forget it. My friends would be like, hey, Jason, why don't you just stop doing this? Right, why don't you just stop doing this? I remember telling them the only thing that would hurt more than stopping this. Wait, did I say that right? No. The only thing that would hurt more than not stopping this would be stopping it. Right, I have to do this because I, and it's not even that people have to listen to me. I don't care. And maybe you're like this too as an artist. Like there are things inside of you that you want to say. There are things inside of you that you have to get out. And the more you live your life according to how do I make the pain stop, the more it will shrink your life and the more the world will be robbed by your art. So that's the first question. How do I make the pain stop? Second question is a little bit better. Second question is, how do I feel good now? Once you get people to move past the how do I make the pain stop and you get inviting them into asking the question, how do I feel good now? It's progress, it's growth. So now we're just talking about pain alleviation. It's about moving into feeling good. There's massive problems with this. And the best way I can illustrate this is uh, I love Instagram. I love it. Any, any fans of Instagram? I love Instagram the way Kanye loves Kanye. I do. <laughs> and, and it's not like, let's take that down pretty quick. It's not that, I, um, it's not that I'm good at it. Right? That's not the point. I just love the, the, the serotonin, oxytocin buzz hit of the likes. Like I watch when I post a picture, anybody, anybody with me? When I, it's not healthy. It's not, it's not okay. When I post a picture, I like watch the like stream like, like the Wolf of Wall Street watches ticker tape for the stock market, right? Yeah, and when I was, and like a couple years ago, I would like say, oh, ooh, three digits, you know, 100 likes kind of thing. And it would like shape the quality of my day. And then what happened is, this is a real thing. What happened is I'll, I'll be typing or working or developing a talk or working with the firm or you know, talking to my business manager or whatever. Or even I'd be like working with a client. And during me working with a client, I'd be like, I wonder how many likes I have. <laughs> and what happened is Instagram became like the equivalent of my creative um. When I had like a half millisecond of writer's block, I would reach for the gram, right? When I was like halfway bored on a date, I would reach for the gram. <laughs> 
and it just became this thing because it, because of the hit, it feels good. And here's the thing. If you live your life only trying to feel good, I promise you, you never will. If you live your life trying to answer the question, how do I feel good? You never will. Just like if you try to answer the question, how to make the pain stop, it's a guaranteed way to never make the pain stop. These questions are insidious and they have a gravitational pull to them that actually become self-fulfilling and they never get resolved in our lives. And I tell you, when I work with clients, so many times my clients are unwilling to let go of things in their life that can move their lives forward because it feels good. The worst possible thing when I'm saying, hey, look, let's take a look at all the things in your life. What can you delegate as a leader? The worst possible thing is that when a person says, uh, I don't want to delegate that because I enjoy it. And is it possible that the things that you currently enjoy are holding you back from the things that you really long to enjoy? And one of the things I want to invite you to consider, what are the things, the legitimate things? There's nothing wrong with Instagram. Instagram's fine, like whatever. There's nothing wrong with these things. But these things, we allow these things to become the obstacle to us getting the things that we most deeply desire, which leads us to question number three. Question number three is, what do I want? Now, by the way, this is the question that most executives work with most of the time with an executive coach. If you ever work with a life coach or an executive coach or whatever, this is level three. There's five levels. Level three is where most coaching stops. What is it that you want? You want a better marriage. You want to lose some weight. You want a career. You want an award. You want some, you know, more money. You want blah, 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 like whatever it is that you want. And usually, so it's like you talk to a coach and we get clear on what it is you want, then we help you get it. It's great. And that's what, you know, yay, here's, and that'll be an exchange of money. Yay, good for us, right? Now, here's the problem with that couple things. One is, what happens when you get what you want? A buddy of mine, his name's Marvin. He is awesome. He's one of my favorite people. He uh, helped discover MC Hammer. So depending on how you feel about that, you can either like really love him or like not love him that much. <laughs> I think that's awesome. I think it's great. He worked with uh, Michael Jackson for a while, a uh, big deal in the industry in his day. And then, of course, he became very successful. And then, of course, he started experimenting uh, with drugs and had uh, trouble with the law. And his life was destroyed almost instantaneously. And I remember not too long ago, we were talking, and he said, Jason, everyone taught me how to become successful, but no one taught me what to do with success. Because there's this thing where we chase this thing, we're chasing, and then once we get it, now what do we do? And uh, as an ancillary benefit, most people don't really know what they really want. We know what we think we want, but there's actually layers of this conversation. And here's an example of that. This is a video from a week ago. I was actually really nervous to show this to you, but we're, we're gonna do it anyway. This is me getting a tour of a new place I was looking at to move into. This is uh, right across the street from the Staples Center. You see, look at that. That's, that's gorgeous. I'm a sucker for views. I love views. I love windows. If you're feeling bad uh, about me earlier for having a fear of public speaking, you're like, screw this guy now. Look at that. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's fantastic. I just lo I love it. And here's the thing. Maybe that's not like your thing, but can you go with me a little bit? Like, I want that. I do. I want it. And I like talk to my accountant and the financier and everything. The company's doing well. And, I, like, I, and this is a weird thing to say out loud for a guy that seven years ago was homeless and eight years ago was a pastor, which is kind of like being homeless. And, <laughs> you know, and... Uh, and it's like, I want that, I want that, and, I, and I, I can afford it, which is a weird thing to say. It's a weird thing to say out loud, I can afford that, and I want it, so why can't I have it? And the answer is, of course you can have it. But as I was talking to wise people in my life, they all asked me the same question. We did the math on how much more it would be than where I'm currently living. And they all said, hey, Jason, here's how much the addition would be, and it's totally within your finances, no problem. But then they asked me this question, is there anything else you want more? Is there anything else you want more? And the answer, of course, is my, instantly, the decision I emailed them already told them I'm not taking the place. My heart exploded. I was like, yes, there's things I want more. There's causes I believe in. There's and even noble things. Like, I haven't been on a vacation in years. I got one business mentor saying, Jason, if you don't go on at least a month's worth of vacation in 2018, I'm not going to be your mentor anymore. Right? I'm like, well, how do you pay for that? Oh, yeah, not moving to that place. <laughs> right? A friend of mine, her name's Lynn. She's a writer on The Handmaiden's Tale. Anybody Handmaiden's Tale fans? Just, yeah, amazing, right? And we wrote a pilot together. We created a pilot together a few years ago, back when she was just like struggling 
pulling it out, whatever. And it's like a gene splice of the usual suspects and goonies, and it's amazing, and I love it. And I want to see if that's got some legs and if that costs some revenue in order to make that thing happen. I want to be able to have that. Years ago, I wrote a children's book called The Wake of Zing, and it's about the, this boat discovering the power of unleashing its potential and its love. And I did this a long time ago, and I didn't pull the trigger on it because I thought that like I didn't have the money to pay an artist or whatever. Like There's all these things that I want to create. There's all these things I want to do, and I want to do these things more than have a stupid place with a view. There's things that I want in my life more. There's things I want to create more than just living a life and doing what everyone else says you're supposed to spend your money on, even if it's, quote, financially responsible. That's what leads to this next part of this question is it's not just how do I make the pain stop now? It's not just how do I feel good now? It's not just what do I want? And this is where things get nuclear, okay? This is, this is a space where we're now we're getting into territory where very few people ever ask the question. Here it is. What am I capable of? This question is nuclear. This is the question that executive coaches who are worth their salt spend their time on. I don't care what you want. I care what you're capable of. And this is where I'm going to go into a little dangerous territory with you, okay? This is why I think the film Up, and, and Matt yesterday was amazing. I think the film Up is one of the greatest pieces of cinema. I think the first 10 minutes is some of the best storytelling in the history of cinematography. And by the end of that movie, I was pulling my hair out. And I want to tell you why. Because Carl and Ellie wanted to go on an adventure, but instead they settled for a house. And in my mind, the whole movie, I'm thinking, why didn't they just sell the damn house? <laughs> sell the house! It's nickel and diming you. Don't put a little note at the end about how our love was a journey or whatever. No! Balloons existed in the 50s. Buy a thousand balloons and lift the house off and take Ellie with you. <laughs> uh, right? With all due respect to the people who are 10 times better at storytelling than me, please. Ellie needs to live, and she needs to live with Carl, <laughs> right? Because, look, getting married is a great place to start. It's a horrible place to finish. You are capable of more than that. You are capable of more than that. And we want to hold space for people to start exploring what are they capable of. Having a good marriage, fine. What about you explore what you're capable of as a husband, right? When I work with clients and they want to talk about their marriages, I say, let's pretend you're Don Juan. You are the world's greatest lover. What, what, what does it look like to create a relationship with your spouse where 100 years from now, other people are writing sonnets about it? Why don't we explore that together? Because look, even if you fail, won't it have been worth it? Right? That's the conversation. Those are the things worth sinking your teeth into. Uh, I was working with a guy who's the CEO of a $780 million company, and it's, it's going to coast to a billion. Right? And so we get on the phone. I say, what do you want? And he goes, well, I want to grow to a billion. I'm like, you don't need to hire me for that. That's going to happen on accident. As long as you don't mess it up, that's going to be fine. Like, what do you think you're capable of? We talked for a while, and he said, I don't know. And he mumbled a number. I said, I'm sorry, I can't hear you because I'm adorable. <laughs> I said, I can't hear you. He said, five billion? I said, is that a question or a statement? Like, what are we doing here? This is in jeopardy, right? <laughs> and he goes, if I tell my team that, they're going to freak out. I'm like, then that's the number. It's like, do you know how to do that? It's like, I have no clue how to do that. And it's not about the number. It's about figuring out a way to explore what it is you're capable of. And he likes cars. And I said, what kind of cars do you like? He said, I like McLarens. I don't know hardly anything about cars. I know a little bit about McLarens because I was Googling it while we were talking on the phone. And uh, <laughs> I, said, I said to this guy, I said, you remind me of McLaren. You're going, I said, you're going like 120 miles an hour right now. And that's pretty fast. And we've seen a lot of people on stage going 120 miles per hour. And we have people in the audience who are going 120 miles per hour. 120 miles per hour is faster than most people ever go in their lives. And so we say, hooray, you're so brave, 120 miles per hour. The problem is you're a McLaren, and McLarens can go 217 miles per hour. And so what I want to know, and look, go 120, fine. I'm not going to judge you. Do whatever you want. But do you want to see what you're capable of? 
I wonder what 217 looks like. And I think 217 would look very good on you. And if you're up for that, if your company, if you are up for that, exploring what does 217 look like, then I'm in. And if you don't want that, there are a thousand other executive coaches who would love to take your time. But I want to hold space for people who are exploring what it is they're capable of. And there's one last question. And this is a question very, 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 very few people in the world ask. It's a shift from what am I capable of to what are we capable of. There are some exploits of creativity that can only be created in extraordinary community. And I promise you, your exploration of your own capabilities can only happen in the context of other people going after the same thing. And actually, our company, my friends, are so passionate about this that just two weeks ago or three weeks ago, we launched a free online service designed to facilitate this conversation. You will never create the life you're meant to live on your own. And you're only going to be able to, that's why story exists, by the way. Story exists to bring extraordinary storytellers together as an incubator to send us back out into the world to create extraordinary stories together. One last story, I was working with a team, it's it's an amazing company to do for-profit education, one-to-one teaching ratio. One-to-one, which is amazing for education. It's the holy grail of education. And they're doing really well, and they brought me in to figure out how to turn them into a $100 million company to a $200 million company. So I come in and spend a day with the executive team. I'm like, yeah, and I'm doing my thing. And I'm like, yeah, 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 doing the deal. And at the end of the day, usually when I come in and work with a team, like things are popping and fun and it's exciting, whatever. And by the end of this day, it's kind of like, meh. And I'm like, what's the deal? Like, did I not do my magic? Like, you know, what's, going, you know, what's going on? And uh, the CFO speaks up and the, he says, I don't really care about $200 million. That's the CFO, right? And I was like, well, what do you care about? He's like, I didn't get into this gig for money. I got into this, kid, this gig to help kids. I said, well, how many kids would you like to help? We started planning. I was like, what about, they reach about 5,000 students now. I was like, what about 50,000 students? Like, wow, 50,000, you know? And it's quiet. And a woman on the team, she's extraordinary. She goes, uh, 50,000 students doesn't excite me, Jason. I said, what would excite you? And there's a pause. And this was a defining moment in the history of this organization. She says, a million students. And it was like a nuclear bomb of energy and hope and excitement and terror went off in that room. And they lit up like the 4th of July. They don't know how they're going to do it. They're going to totally reinvent their system. And they are like the Blues Brothers. They are on a mission from God (laughs) to figure out how to serve the world's kids who are not served by a traditional education because they're finally asking the question, what are we capable of? And here's the deal. When you become obsessed with this idea, when you become obsessed, you start orienting your life around the question, what are we capable of? Then you'll start exploring what you're capable of. Then you'll start getting what you actually deeply long for, and it's gonna feel fantastic because you finally found something worth suffering for. And then it'll make the whole world lean in and ask the question, what happens next. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening. For more resources like this, as well as articles and videos by all of our coaches, go to novus.global and click on resources. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. That helps us out a lot. Rate and leave a review. If you didn't like us, just leave us alone. We drop new episodes every week and we don't want you to miss out. If you want to explore hiring a Novus Global Coach or becoming an executive coach at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching, email us at begin at novus.global or click the link in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and remember, dare to go beyond high performance.